Welcome to This Week in Local, a Locology podcast featuring lively conversations about the local digital ecosystem, hosted by Locology analysts Mike Boland and Charles Lachlan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Local. I'm Mike Boland, and my guest today is David Arslanian, who is Managing Director of Progress Partners. So, David, welcome to the program. Great to be back. Thanks again for having me. Yeah. So, David, Progress Partners is obviously a leading investment firm and as such has been a keen observer of the topic on everyone's mind this week and last week, which is the fall of Silicon Valley Bank. Um, so that's what we're here to talk about today and to get your insights about you know, what it all means what happens next, how this impacts our world at Locology in terms of media and advertising sectors, and you know what are the lessons and takeaways from this whole thing. Um, but let's start basic. So you know, I think everyone has sort of heard this going on in the news. Um, but for those who don't know sort of the background and the inner workings, give us a quick explanation of like how we got here, what led up to this. And I know it's sort of a, a very complicated and unusual set of circumstances that were sort of put in play to get us to this point. Uh, but if you yeah. could give us sort of the, the Reader's Digest version and how you see it. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep it as, as brief as possible. But <laughs> right. there, were, there were really two um, uh, events that had to happen uh, sort of simultaneously uh, in order for uh, a bank collapse such as this one to occur so swiftly. Um, and some people might say, hey, it was building for a while. Um, but at the end of the day, this was uh, this was fast. Um, I think everyone was, was taken by surprise at just how quickly it all unfolded. Uh, the first thing that happened that we all know about uh, were the macroeconomic conditions that set it up, which were, in effect, uh, interest rates were rising. Um, and so over a period of the past six months, we saw the Federal Reserve uh, ratchet up interest rates from what was 0.7% uh, to 4.7% in uh, what's widely uh, been agreed upon as the, the fastest the Fed has ever increased interest rates. Um, and so that was the first thing that happened. The second thing that happened, and this is the, 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 the Silicon Valley Bank problem, was they didn't risk adjust uh, their portfolio uh, of, of assets for those interest rate hikes, which is surprising, I think, to a lot of people because everyone knew the Fed was going to continue to uh, increase their interest rates. So when you have rising interest rates, and you have a bank that doesn't properly adjust for that, there's going to be a problem. And that's ultimately what we had. Is it also fair to say, going back even further, when talking about sort of macro factors, we saw sort of the COVID-19 venture boom, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of companies, a lot of recipients of funding uh, had a lot of money to park, had a lot of cash on hand from all that funding. And, you know, SVB was sort of at the time the elite place to do so. So they had sort of this massive rise in deposits, mm -hmm. um, which is normally a good thing for a bank. Yeah. Um, but that eclipsed their ability to loan capital. So then they had to sort of look for places to put it. And some of those places ended up being um, sort of, um, you know, low rate, you know, U.S. treasuries, things like that, yeah. which were then impacted by the you know macroeconomic factors you mentioned, inflation, et cetera. You got it. You got it. I mean, the key is when uh, when interest rates go up, the value of the treasuries that they uh, acquired go down. <laughs> yeah. So 
base value goes down. And it's actually not a problem until you are forced to sell one. <laughs> and yeah. um, and so what what happened on Thursday was basically that Silicon Valley Bank had to sell one. And that one made them have to what's called mark to market or reprice their whole book of holdings of these treasuries. Yeah. And it dropped precipitously. And of course, everyone quickly realized the equity value of Silicon Valley Bank, which is to say their stock price, really was uh, disconnected from where uh, they were saying the price, the, the book price of all those those uh, securities were. And then you have uh, the the bank run piece of it was separate um, from the equity yep. disconnect side of it. And that's something that I think you know, I give a lot of credit to the Fed and the government. I don't normally give credit to the U.S. government, but I'm going to do so here. Um, they moved with incredible speed and swiftness in order to stem this and make people realize, just take a breath and realize it was a disconnect on the security side, not with the actual deposits themselves, which were backed by treasury notes. And that was fine. Um, yeah. The problem was they had to sell and market to market. Yeah, and you're right. The um, all things federal never move fast. So this right. was this was remarkable. Right. Now, with respect to the bank run, that's another interesting piece, as you as you sort of point out, because any bank, any banking sort of dynamics, it's built on trust. Um, and what happened after Thursday was there was sort of erosion in that trust, trust or a sort of perception of cracks in the foundation. And then, you know, money just started pulling out um, and then it sort of became a herd mentality, which exacerbated yeah. everything. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it totally did. And and I mean, this this statement's been made before, but there really are only two things in life that exist. If you believe in them, it's God and bank runs <laughs> right. you need to believe in them. Uh, and in this case, you just got a, that herd mentality of belief uh, picked up that there was a problem, and uh, and and people uh, made quick moves to to move their uh, cash and their deposits out of the bank. And once you do that, uh, a bank really can't survive without deposits. It's very straightforward. Yeah. Yeah, the momentum just builds from there. Now, um, so that brings us up to the present. Where are we now in terms of like picking up the pieces? Um, I imagine there's a lot of sort of asset selling going on. Um, and, and that'll lead us into sort of the the impact in, in the marketing world I want to get to. But where are things now for, for SVB, SVB and its immediate sphere of, of influence? Yeah, it actually portends to the broader market. Honestly, we we looked, we at Progress had long believed that um, we didn't see the the sharp downside that everyone was saying. This is probably a, a quarter to, to months ago. Um, we didn't see a big upside in the market. We actually saw a pretty stable market. I think this shook the market again. It, it, let me let me restate. This did shake the market. Um, we're going to continue to see fallout from this. For, uh, for 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 quarters probably. Um, I don't think it goes years. Um, this is not akin to 08. Um, this is something different. Um, this is probably though we're we're going to have a couple quarters of unease uh, within the markets as the banking system has to rebuild its trust again. Um, uh, SVB themselves was just a huge proponent of the startup market. Um, so certainly, yeah. I, I think we're going to see a some fallout from that um, yet to be determined the extent to which that impacts 
uh, investing and and uh, and selling um, activity. So I think we have a, a probably a little bit of a shakeout still to go there. Uh, yeah. And then finally, I do think um, that it, if you can see through these quarters. Um, you're you're still looking at what appears to be a fairly robust economy, um, which which makes me feel a little bit more optimistic as you go into the back half of this year. Yeah, well, optimism is a good uh, point to take a quick break. We're going to pause for a commercial break, and when we come back, more with David. Hi, everyone. It's Mike Bolin, Senior Analyst at Locology, here to tell you about L23. It's our annual flagship event held this year in sunny San Diego, Coronado Bay to be exact, and it's all about charting the course of local commerce and tackling all of the factors and topics that continue to impact the business of local media, advertising, and commerce. So we've got a solid speaker lineup already, and we'd love to see you in Coronado Bay April 17th through 19th, and you can find out more at Locology.com. Now back to our episode. And we're back. So, David, before the break, we were talking about, you know, all the high level dynamics, what got us to this point. Um, But we ended talking about sort of the fallout and some of your optimism. So I want to transition now into specifically what a lot of our listeners are interested in, which is how that fallout translates to any ripple effects in sort of this world of media and advertising. And I know that Progress Partners absolutely has a lot of domain expertise in terms of its portfolio investments in that world as well. So what should the the companies in, in this particular world of media and advertising be doing or bracing for? Um, and, and you know, what should they be feel optimistic about? You you mentioned that at, at the end of the first segment. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll I'll get into that that latter uh, in just a second. Uh, that that piece in just a second, rather. Um, you know, we uh, it have been in advertising boom and bust cycles for uh, a couple decades now. Um, we've we've watched them, and we've uh, we've been involved uh, throughout the whole, that whole time. What we see is that the knee jerk is always to pull back on advertising uh, media. Um, it, it, it creates this just sort of feeling of savings uh, of cash in a, in a more challenging time. And so you see that as the initial wave, but then we always find, again, a quarter from now, two quarters from now, people realize they still need it. That is the, the lifeblood of, uh, of a lot of the, these companies' revenue is marketing. So um, the companies that tend to come back first are the ones that are either direct response marketers or in some ways uh, measuring uh, revenue to marketing dollars. Um, they yeah. come back usually, they're, they're the first ones to push money back into the market and be a little bit more aggressive. An area specifically within that that we see a lot of um, opportunity in is retail advertising. Um, Mm. We were believers in this space um, uh, uh, years ago. Um, We've really seen it pick up in the past two, three quarters, Um, just uh, the focus on that space. And I think it's because, again, it goes back to you can tie dollars um, uh, generated to dollars spent. And anytime you can do that, um, it, it makes you feel better about the money you're spending, like you're actually getting something for it. Uh, and so yeah. that's where uh, that's where we see a bright light, and uh, and we think that'll be a, a opportunity uh, area. Now that's interesting, and we do see that perf- all things performance based 
tend to rise to the top in any sort of economic retraction or downturn. And, and another interesting point is that some of these downturns historically over the past few decades have tend to caused usually a, a retraction of overall advertising budgets from brands. But that's good news if you're sort of an emerging format and or an emerging player. Um, and examples of that we saw you know, after the dot-com boom and bust was the rise of Google and search advertising. And after the financial crisis and everything that happened in, in late the, the late 2000s, though it wasn't new at the time, we did see an inflection in social advertising. So it's almost like this is an opportunity for media buyers and CMOs and anyone at a brand to sort of reshuffle. And, and that tends to um, uh, frown upon legacy media and and newer things, which tend to be performance based, like search, as I mentioned, tend to sort of rise. So there's good news for some of those folks that are either in performance based or experimental, new emerging things. Like these days, it's things you know like AR. I, I love the retail media example. You know, you see retailers like Lowe's and Target have their retail media networks, and that's very performance based because it's at the end of the funnel. You know, if we're talking about you know, store displays and things. It's it's advertising so close in in such close proximity to a sale that it brings in that performance piece. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, that that the bottom of the funnel uh, advertising uh, is is where we see again. That's that's where you're going to be able to capture a lot of opportunity and value right now in this market. The other piece that I would just uh, come back to, which you mentioned, was uh, more smaller. Uh, and mid-sized brands, this is a really good opportunity for them because the big brands are the ones that pull back. You know, they're the ones yeah. that feel that immediate need to chop in big ways. And and look, they they spend the most, and they can therefore they can they can pull out the most, right? Um, but that leaves uh, airtime for uh, the smaller and mid-sized uh, brands, more local brands, to be able to put their dollars uh, to work without having to compete against those bigger ones. The second piece that that then uh, portends to is uh, the, um, to your point, the, the more traditional media, uh, like TV advertising, it was really held for the larger brands. Mm-hmm. With the rise of di- not direct response OTT or CTV, but but really um, uh, being able to capture uh, direct value in in um, in video advertising off of a device by saying it's in the home at this moment, and they also I can then I can tie that back to a website. They went to my website like that ability right now. I could see that as another area where people put more money at play coming mm. out of this. Um, I, I don't want to say it's today or tomorrow, but it's like coming out of this, you know, again, that quarter, two quarter from now, I could see a lot of people focusing on that area because you're going to be able to capture that that direct uh, um, revenue to, to, to cost ratio. Yeah. CTV is certainly interesting. So, so what then is the advice for the the sell side of, of the the media ecosystem? Not just the brands and what's happening with them. You had a lot of great insights there. What should the the publishers, the broadcasters, the online media companies that that are you know sort of fighting for that fixed ad pie, or in some cases shrinking ad pie, be doing? Is it you know launching things that are more performance based? Is it sort of trying to innovate more with that type of stuff? You know, surprisingly, they don't need to do a lot. Um, hmm. They just got to be better at 
be attributing, uh, you know, uh, those revenue dollars that they're seeing um, yeah. to, to that. And, and they know that they've known this for a long time. Um, uh, one thing that you'll see is as you get further and away, further and further away from the basic ratings game, and you get more and more into the direct response, direct attribution game, uh, that's where uh, the the publishers, the the supply side, just needs to be really cognizant and make sure that they're using technology that allows people to do that. Again, it's not like yeah. they need to do a lot. They just need to they need to upgrade, and the upgrades at this point are not uh, anything that doesn't exist. You know, three times over in the market at this point. Yeah, utilize all the sort of attribution technologies right. that are out there and That's sort right. of add that to what they have. That's a great point. Now, I think another challenge here too is not just all the macro factors that we've been talking about, but greater fragmentation in the supply side because you have a few emerging players that weren't there or weren't as big in terms of you know media selling powerhouses maybe five years ago one of them is tiktok and the other one is amazon as of course amazon continues to elevate its own sort of ad program and its sort of search-based ads within its own network which is prime sort of first party inventory it has very much of those lower funnel attributes you mentioned earlier in light of retail advertising but in just you know an online store um, any thoughts about um, what those folks are doing? Yeah, actually, the the fragmentation piece we uh, saw about two years ago on the supply side, and we we had a consolidation thesis going on hmm. uh, with um, with con- with with the supply side that was necessary uh, because there were just too many players, um, both from a network's point of view, uh, a publisher point of view. It's great that they're all coming online and, and you know, um, you can you can buy direct and all this stuff, but it was just getting very complicated. And we believe that there you were just going to see consolidation, whether it was actually on the, the supply side itself of the actual networks or it was the technology being used to access those. Uh, there just needed to be some consolidation. Um, I think we would have seen more of it had this most recent sort of macro event not happened. Um, I think you would have seen it in, in uh, yeah. Q two, three this year. Uh, we'll, we'll see. But um, but that's a long-winded way of me saying, I agree. Um, I think that you're seeing a lot coming out. Um, I think that Amazon getting into this game, actually Amazon, Walmart, Target, um, developing their own networks, that's part of it um, because they see the value uh, that they can extract uh, from brands uh, or the revenue they can extract, I should say, from brands uh, by going direct at, at this point. And I would not be you know, too surprised to see that uh, continue over the course of, yeah. of the next uh, couple of years. It's also great revenue diversification for them, particularly on Amazon, who is that big and just needs to constantly find new areas of revenue growth, which gets more challenging the bigger you get, obviously. So that's behind a lot of what it's doing there. Now, um, so back to SVB and all of that, of course, relates to SVB in terms of what we could see that symptomatic and ripple effects and macro effects, uh, but back directly to not just symptoms, but causes. Um what is really the sort of biggest learning here? If we could treat this as a cautionary tale or a learning mm-hmm. moment, what would that lesson be? You mentioned earlier better course correction to macro factors if you know yeah. in terms of asset diversification for a bank like that. Um, what else would you say there? 
Yeah, risk adjustment, right? Um, yeah. So uh, I think one of the things we're going to see is uh, a lot of uh, boards uh, are going to take a lot harder look at uh, systemic failure points where you know you're yeah. over concentrated, you know, in one thing, and it turns out that keeping all of your you know funds at Silicon Valley Bank maybe that's not the you know the optimum uh you know way to approach it maybe you need to have a couple different bank accounts um or the ability to move rapid funds rapidly from you know one bank to another so i think that's something we'll see come out of this um i've talked to a lot of board members who told me you know we had 25 million sitting in a bank account at svb and we just never thought that we couldn't access it one day, you know, um, or that possibly the most we would get back is 250,000, you know? Um, yeah. And so I think that that was a good, that'll be a good lesson learned uh, for a lot of people. Um, and then uh, the second piece, I think that, uh, look, we should take away actually just broadly is that the, um, the companies uh, which use SVB, um, that they were sort of hyper-concentrated uh, in the startup community um, in some way, which is, that was what they focused on, was a, was both a fantastic, you know, benefit and what turns out to be a real, uh, a real revenue uh, diversification or risk diversification problem. Um, yeah. And so, look, we can all take something away from that. Again, it goes to that, that um, risk and, and concentration that you've got to be aware of uh, both those at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually a great place to end it. And that's all the time we have. But the good news is we're going to have you on stage in about a month in San Diego at L23. And we're going to continue this discussion and talk about the broader sort of um, environment um, in investing and all the dynamics beyond just SVB. But it'll be a good chance to sort of return to this topic one month later and see sort of where things are then. So until then, I want to thank you, David, for joining us. Yeah, thank you. And I look forward to it. And, and hopefully it'll be a uh, a good discussion at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening. This has been This Week in Local. This episode was brought to you by L23, Locology's flagship event taking place this year in San Diego, April 17th or 19th. And David, as we mentioned, will be there on stage. Um, and you can find out more at Locology.com. Stay tuned every week for more episodes of This Week in Local. You can find the show on all major podcast networks. Please subscribe, like, and comment. So I'm Mike Boland. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Locology's This Week in Local with Mike Boland and Charles Lachlan. Be sure to subscribe for more.